This is Greg Howdyshell, the Chief of Police with the Warrenton, Missouri Police Department. You're listening to the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Baseball. It's a game with lines, bases, players, and hot dogs. Sure. But baseball is more than just balls and strikes. Strike three, you're rounded in. It's about stories. Deep, rich, steeped in history, perspective. Gosh, there are so many. Oil up your glove. Warm up the arm. Take your place on the infield. And get ready for another episode of Two Guys Talking Baseball. Baseball storytelling and perspective on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. It doesn't happen to every boy, and definitely not to every kid, but the fire, passion, and tradition that comes with baseball strikes here and there. Well, definitely here. My love affair with baseball certainly didn't start in 1989, but in the early days of May of 1989, the world was provided with Field of Dreams. There aren't any explosions, there is no gunfire, but there are explosions of memory, fandom, and baseball to be sure, along with tears, laughter, and a certain fitting beginning for Two Guys Talking Baseball. It's time for the Two Guys Talking Baseball Perspective Review of Field of Dreams, directed by Phil Alden Robinson, starring Kevin Costner and a bunch of other greats, here on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Greetings, everybody. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. Hi, I'm Vic Porcelli, big baseball fan. Uh, More than a big baseball (laughs) fan and really walking baseball trivia man, which is why I'm so proud to be providing this podcast, Two Guys Talking Baseball, with you, Vic Porcelli. You know what? I could sit and talk about baseball all day long. And this is a great way to do it, to go through the movies. Well, it is. Not only the the feature films that are put out, but a lot of things that have appeared also on television, but also specials that have not all hit inside of theaters. Right. In fact, there's another podcast that you can listen to over at twoguystalkingbaseball.com, and it is the actually the top 10 best feature films and or specials about baseball that right. you can watch and listen to. Right, right. So go check that out as well. Uh, a quick little piece of housekeeping. The Scammer Cast. Just about everyone on the planet has someone elderly that is getting older that has got to be protected from the scammers out there, Vic. And you know what? Being a crook, being a scumbag, (laughs) you go to the path of least resistance. You really do. And it's the old people who they know they can get. It is definitively the old people. And so the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network is proud to have a new podcast called The ScammerCast. That's great. And The ScammerCast really is not just for old people, and it's for the people that are taking care of elders to make sure that they don't get taken advantage of. What you can watch for, the tips, the tricks, the details, but more importantly, the perspective of an elder attorney and a wonderfully licensed clinical social worker. That would be Curtis Bailey and Art Maines over at ScammerCast.com. We'll link to it inside the show notes for this episode as well. But make sure you check that out. It's ScammerCast, ScammerCast.com. Two guys talking poker. Uh-huh. I would be remiss. I know about that show. I know you know about that show, mostly because you are the host <laughs> along right. with Andy Kazin of that show. But I would be remiss if I didn't mention Two Guys Talking Poker. A lot of what we're going to experience tonight inside of Two Guys Talking Baseball, I think probably forever. 
is perspective mm-hmm. and stories mm-hmm. and what I've been able to glean and look at and, and literally pull from you guys inside of that program as your producer there is what's going to happen inside of this program as well, which okay, is cool. really magical. Right, uh, but Two Guys Talking Poker, tell yep. us about Two Guys Talking Poker. Well, Andy and I have been poker friends for uh, 15, 20 years maybe, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we worked together years ago and we both played and we'd meet in the hallways and talk about hands and talk about how we played them. And it's just a perfect, you know, get together of two guys who just love poker. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just a game that I don't play golf. I've never shot around a golf in my life. Mm-hmm. I don't feel the need to right now. Mm-hmm. I'd rather sit at a poker table for you know six, seven hours. That's yeah. what relaxes me. Yeah. Besides well, not- being with my wife and my kids, being at the poker table is my second. Yeah, and what's really fun are the stories that you and Andy tell. They get into the detail of what tournament poker really is about. Just like you and golf, I'm not the poker player. Right. But what I really do appreciate about your program is the perspective that you and Andy bring, in particular with the stories that really are engaging. Mm. Even if you have nothing to do with poker right. and cards and anything. Well, not for nothing, but we were sitting when the, the main event final table was on. Or was it the High Rollers event? I think it was. It was the One Drop event was on TV. Mm-hmm. And I get a text from Mike Wilkerson that says, hey, did you see that bluff? I'm like, look at you watching poker on TV. <laughs> well, it has. It's made, me, it's made me terribly more accidentally interested. So I'll see something uh, either online or while I'm watching television about poker. Mm-hmm. And I'm instantly gravitating towards it because of the stories that you hear yeah. inside of Two Guys Talking Poker. The great thing about poker is uh, it's so fascinating because Tom McAvoy, the guy who won the 1983 uh, World Series of Poker main mm-hmm. event had a mm-hmm. great phrase that said, poker is not a card game with people, it's a people game with cards. Yeah. It doesn't matter how good your cards are, it matters how much you know your opponent. Yeah. I think that's fascinating. Uh, not only is it fascinating, it's terribly fitting for Two Guys Talking in general. Yeah. I started Two Guys Talking now over a decade ago because I wanted the perspectives of people that I didn't know but really revered and respected, that I knew was something I could never learn everything about to share mm. inside of the network. And that's why Two Guys Talking Poker was brought in and uh, wonderfully received to the tune of being one of our largest uh, receivers of sponsorship oh, over the you. years. And it, it is a grand program. Again, you can watch and listen to all of the episodes to date. They're a giant repository of the discussions and interviews with legends of poker yeah. over at twoguystalkingpoker.com. So Vic, why don't you grab your mitt? Got I'll it. grab the glove. Let's have a catch. Let's head for the cornfield. Inside the Two Guys Talking Baseball Perspective Review of Field of Dreams, 1989. Sponsored by the St. Charles Office Center, Acoustica's Mixed Craft Recording Software, and Blogger's Bug. If you podcast, they will listen. The Hype! So what do you remember of hype for this movie? And You have to remember, in 1989, there was a completely different level and flavor of, when I say the word hype, it's completely different now that there is the internet and the intertubes and Twitter and Instagram and everything else. Back then, it was something solely different. Exactly. I mean, the only way to promote a film was, you know, to see the stars on TV, listen to them, you know, on, on radio. And Kevin Costner, by the way, is a guy I actually got to meet just a few weeks ago. Yeah, just recently here in St. Louis. Yeah, yeah for yeah. his most recent movie, Black or White. Mm-hmm. And I was just humbled that he would go around to local radio stations to promote his film mm-hmm. and sit in the studio with us. Yeah. And that's how, that's old school, man. You know, yeah. it wasn't internet. It wasn't social media. Mm-hmm. So the hype, I think, from this hit right to the baseball fan. Mm-hmm. If you're a baseball fan... And if you love the history of baseball, which I do, mm-hmm. you know, there's a 
short aspect of time travel mm -hmm. in Field of Dreams. True. And I, you and I are both obsessed with time travel. <laughs> and one of the things that I say I would do if I could t travel through time was to go to Yankee Stadium on September 30th, 1927, to watch Babe Ruth hit his 60th home run mm -hmm. of that season. Mm -hmm. And the biggest reason why, Mike, is if you go back to 1927 and you watch a baseball game, it's the same game. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. Guys still steal second. Guys still turn the double play. It's it's the same game. And mm -hmm. I think that's what really baseball fans went out to watch was because it was all about this game that, you know, the James Earl Jones' great rant about baseball. Mm -hmm. You think about baseball's been around way longer than basketball, mm -hmm. way longer than football, mm -hmm. uh, even longer than hockey. Hockey's probably the second most. But through the years... And I hate to try to sound like James Earl Jones, but in 1940 and 1944, there was no Olympics mm -hmm. because of World War II, but baseball went on, mm -hmm. you know? That's why after 9-11, you know, I said, okay, it's been a, it's been a week. Let's, let's get to baseball. Get I to hate baseball. to say it. I hate yeah. to sound no. insensitive or obtuse, but my gosh, baseball is what makes us. Mm -hmm. It's what makes us America. I mean, it used to be national pastime. It was way bigger than, you know, it was than it is now. The Super Bowl is overtaken. The Super Bowl is like a national holiday mm -hmm. now, mm -hmm. and but the World Series to me is still the epitome of, of sports championships. Well, and it's know? funny that you mentioned nine eleven too, because those you know those middle weeks of nine eleven, and as you progress towards the end of September, that's when it really starts to get hot for baseball, yeah. hardcore. Yeah. You know, red October. And uh, look at what happened that year. The Yankees mm -hmm. played in the World Series in the very town that was mm -hmm. attacked just mm -hmm. two months prior. Yeah. And strangely enough, lost. Right. That was, you know, a, a the only a disappointing thing, I guess. <laughs> it was, but there's a, there's a wonderful series that we'll link to inside the show notes for this episode that actually tracks that. Hmm. And I know as they were making that that documentary, what they wanted was for the New York sure. Yankees to win. Right. Duh, because how you know how how awesome a steam would that have been for New York had they won? So we didn't get that, but the games that the Yankees won at home. Mm -hmm. To watch people, 55,000 people jumping up and yeah. down and cheering in the same town that was just mourning and crying. and Yeah. You know. it, it was a definitive lift up for baseball, yeah. which is exactly what I think this movie gave. I, I, back in 1989, I don't remember any hype for this movie. Uh, so looking back at some of the trivia for this movie, I did learn that there was some discussion of what the name for this movie was supposed to be. And it's based on a book. It's based on a novel that we'll link to also inside the show notes. And everyone thought that the author said that this movie cannot possibly be called Shoeless Joe, blah, 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 blah. And that's not the case at all. The guy that wrote the book didn't care at all what this movie was called. In fact, what he originally wanted it to be was Dreamfield. And that's not too strange either. I mean, right. it, it captures the same concepts and, and productivity. But I don't remember any hype at all for this movie and uh, Kevin Costner was coming off of some of the biggest movies in his career mm -hmm. Dances with Wolves was um, right. just a couple of years earlier and movie he funded by himself the, that is another brilliant two guys talking perspective review in the making that that movie and in particular the commentary for that film mm -hmm. uh, the commentary inside that movie by him is legend mm -hmm. it is spectacular I've never seen it not not only because of the reason of him funding it himself but because of all the you know it, it is a marathon film for one right but that there was so much to talk about, and he did. That's why him coming to the radio station to wax philosophic with you and whomever else might have been there, that's no strange right. date for me at all because of what he did inside that commentary. Mm -hmm. It is spectacular. I recommend it to everybody. I'd love to see that. That's very good. You know, again, I don't remember any hype about this movie. That's where we ask you guys. If you give feedback, the podcasters will love it. 
What do you remember about the hype surrounding Field of Dreams 1989? Tell us what you think by going over to our website, that's twoguystalkingbaseball.com. Click inside the contact area on the right-hand side of the page. Fill out that quick web form and let us know what you think. If you podcast, they will hear it. The money! Ah, the money question that we dive into with every perspective review inside of Two Guys Talking. Vic, do you have any concept at all with this money made first, domestically, and then worldwide? I don't know. I have no idea on the numbers, but let me take a guess. All right. Far away. Not numbers-wise, but let me say it was a flop. Okay. And then made more money later Okay. once it was released on video. All right. And so give, give me a number. Uh, so let's see. In 1989 dollars, let's say it made... 50 million. 50 million. Just a bit under what this number is talking about. So domestically, it's talking about to date $64,500,000. So, you know, uh, again, looking at the perspective of money, it is yet another corn combine of cash. Right. Appropriately calling it that inside this film. So, again, just giant, giant Mm -hmm. money. Mm -hmm. Uh, Foreign, any guess on the foreign take? 100 million. Uh, 20 million. Oh, wow. So, you know, it, it, it was not the mammoth $700 million movie that we see nowadays inside right. of feature film stuff. Right. But back then, almost $85 million is a lot of money. Do we know what that would be in today's dollars? I don't have a number from that. The numbers I have are from our friends over at boxofficemojo.com. Okay. But it's a ton of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, back then, uh, $85 million was a ton of money. Sure. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the franchise at the end of the review, but this did not warrant a sequel, strangely enough, which was good. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to imagine something like that and we'll we'll banter that more inside of the end of this review this movie ended perfectly Mm -hmm. yeah you know ray cancella having a catch with his father i mean there's nothing more american than that two guys talking field of dreams the good now there's always goods inside of perspective review movies but this one vic had a ton Mm -hmm. of goods crisp black opening cards equals old school mm-hmm. you know straightforward filmmaking is really pretty much out the door at yeah, this point true. even with the people that want to revere the classics that want to go and grab the people that want to make older school feel movies you, you just don't see crisp black cards anymore where it's black card white lettering mm-hmm. for text of the people that are in the in the movie the name of the movie and then into the movie you don't see it very often anymore and this one got to business quick right. it was great being a Yankees fan and what the Dodgers meant to those that know nothing about it. (laughs) You're cackling as I'm saying this, but the reason I want to mention this is that I am a Red Sox fan. You are a Yankees fan. Two usually blood-curdling enemies to begin with. But for people in St. Louis, Cardinal fans, and I am a Cardinal fan, as are you. I'm a huge Cardinal fan. Diehard Cardinal fans. People don't get the concept of what Brooklyn meant and what the Dodgers being there were and how that actually factored in way back then. So give us the quick breakdown that you know as a, as a New Jerseyan about the Dodgers. Well, New York has always been the biggest city in the world and probably the only city that ever had three Major League Baseball teams within the city limits. Wow. Which are the New York Giants, mm-hmm. played in the Polo Grounds. Yep. Yankees played at Yankee Stadium, mm-hmm. and the uh, Dodgers played at Ebbets Field. Yeah. They left. And, you know, you talk about being a Cardinal fan. What's funny is before the Dodgers and the Giants moved to California, mm-hmm. the Cardinals were the westernmost baseball team in Major League Baseball, <laughs> the only team west of the Mississippi. Wow. You know? Wow. And Stan Musial 
as we know, living in St. Louis, what he meant to the Cardinals. Yeah. If you look at his stats, they're right up there with Ruth and Cobb and Garrick and Mays. But people around the country didn't really see him because his last World Series in 1946, the very next year, 1947, they began to be televised. Mm -hmm. Missed it by a year. Yeah. Yeah. Had people around the country been able to see Stan Musial play, I think Stan Musial would be more of a household name than yeah. he was. Yeah. So the Yankees and the Dodgers met in the World Series a ton of times. Mm -hmm. Just a ton of times. Yeah. And I think the, the personification of the Yankees-Dodgers rivalry was, I think it was 1947, the Dodgers and the Yankees played in the World Series, and it was Jackie Robinson's first year. Mm -hmm. And there's a play you can see, and there's, there's footage to show this. Jackie Robinson steals home. Mm-hmm. Yogi Berra, the catcher for the Yankees at the time, it looks it's it's bang bang. The the play is bang bang, but he's called safe, and Berra just loses his mind. <laughs> just loses his mind. Yeah, yeah. Because it's like, and you have to feel like Yogi thought in the back of his head, this isn't just a play at the plate. This is against the Dodgers. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And you know, for people, the way the country was back then, this was a black guy. Yeah. Who just stole, stole home, home on us? What you know? What are they going to say the, about me? Where's the cop? Right, right. <laughs> right oh, where's right. the cop to put this guy? Where? <laughs> yeah. So uh, it was such a rivalry, and. The Yankee fans hated the Dodger fans, and the Dodger fans hated the Yankee fans, mm -hmm. you know? And the thing about the Dodgers was they never won the World Series except for once, I think, mm -hmm. in Brooklyn. Right. And they used to their, their nickname was Dem Bums. Mm -hmm. On the bus, it said the Dodgers, Dem, on their own bus, mm -hmm. it would say Dem Bums, you know? <laughs> and uh, it really is one of those things that went away. Once the Dodgers moved to, to California, Ebbets yeah. Field is not even you know there anymore, there anymore. Right? It's yeah, it's gone. Yeah, the, the polo grounds are gone. Um, Talk a little bit about the Hall and how the Hall focuses and showcases Ebbets Field. Quick, there's actually an exhibit at the Hall of Fame, one exhibit just featuring Ebbets Field and the polo grounds, and they show aerial footage of both stadiums mm -hmm. and the polo grounds. I mean, they played polo in it. That's why they called it the polo grounds. grounds. And right. think about how much room you need with horses and everything. Yeah. You need a lot of room. Only a handful of home runs were hit out of the polo grounds in dead center field. Mm -hmm. If you see an aerial view, you see why. Yeah. It had to be 480, maybe 500 feet from the plate. It was a long way away. Mm -hmm. 1954, when the Giants were in the World Series, Willie Mays makes the catch over his shoulder. We've seen that play a million times. That's dead center field, and he's like maybe 30 feet from the wall. He had to run so far to get that ball. You, you don't really realize the magnitude of that catch until you see an aerial view of the polo grounds. You know? Yeah. And, you know, the Baseball Hall of Fame, I've been there twice. My father took me, and I took my son. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, it's something that you got to do if you're a baseball fan. You get your son, and you bring him to the, you bring him to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. And the museum's one part, and then you walk through the actual hall, mm -hmm. which is the, you know, the busts of all the yeah. guys. Whew. It's quiet. Nobody really talks very loud. Mm -hmm. It's very moving. Well, that that really is a piece of why we're doing two guys talking baseball in general. Because, well, everybody will be able to tune into this year's World Series and playoff games, and you'll be even able to, if you can afford it, go to a baseball game this year and watch your favorite players or be dragged to a game if you don't like baseball that much. What a lot of people don't realize is that it is steeped in history oh, yeah. and tradition. 
and the pieces and stories that a lot of people either don't know or have been forgotten. And so Two Guys Talking Baseball is a good way to focus on all of that. In particular, when we're talking about Field of Dreams, we kind of accidentally segue into awesome things like what you just went through. And that's what I'm going to love about this podcast. It's something that I get to go and talk about the things that I remember and loved about being a baseball player Mm -hmm. and being a baseball fan in general, along with the encyclopedia of baseball. <laughs> I don't know if and, I'm that, but and, and but then the the stories that I really want to share with people so that they understand just how powerful baseball is. And the bottom line is that that gives you kind of a, a good solid primer of the Brooklyn ness of what's talked about at the beginning of this film. The Yankees and then the Red Sox that are also brought up inside of this actually going to Fenway, and I, I wanted to help educate a lot of people that don't know a lot about especially that early portion of what's going on with those three teams along with the other teams and experiences that you have inside a field of dreams Streak. watching the lives of people that don't lean conservatively now when i was 18 i was already conservative very strange in particular the college i went to in mid wisconsin very strange And so that you and I literally get to watch the lives of people that, except for the asshole corrupt banker inside of this particular movie, Mm -hmm. they're all not leaning conservatively. They're all farmers. They're all traditionally at least. man, a a beat writer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's fun to watch the lives of people that definitively lean differently than I do, especially now as an almost 45 year old man Mm. looking back at the way people are swayed or how they think about things and how they allow those things to lead their lives. Being able to look in at a movie like this, knowing my leaning conservativeness, knowing yours and our guide through lives, it's very interesting. And it it doesn't taint the movie at all. Right. Well, what's the connection? It's baseball. Absolutely. Right. And baseball is the wash that allows all of the needles to go back center yeah. and focus on something different. Exactly. And I think that's um even in even in the, you know the most hatred based experiences inside of baseball so oh the rich yankees blah that all that all disappears because it turns and goes back to true north the baseball and i really do love that it's fun but until i heard the voice i'd never done a crazy thing in my life back in 2004 when i concepted two guys talking i had a very successful blog on the internet and Following taking the outline to my nine to five to have a conversation with a friend of mine where I too heard a voice, uh, except that it was my co-host, <laughs> 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 but I knew that I was listening to something that needed attention and needed a spotlight. And so I think that might be if there was an overriding premise that happens here besides the have a catch with your father, blah, that's the one that overrides me inside this movie because everybody, regardless of what you do what you plan, even if you don't enact on a plan, mm-hmm. everybody has had the voice inside them sure. or a voice outside of them that says something that you are compelled to do or want to do. Absolutely. And there are a whole lot of really great foundational elements inside of Feel the Dreams that I hope people get beyond just saying, ah, it's a stupid movie. Is it, is it a ghost movie? Is it, ah, it's about baseball? There's a lot of that when I mentioned Field of Dreams. And for anybody that's not a baseball fan, you probably don't get a lot from this. But there are a lot of foundational arguments about just being a person inside of this movie that I think splash over everybody. I agree, yeah. Hearing the story of Harvey and memories of Judge Gaffney. 
Now, Vic, I love that you and your son, and I think your other folks in your family, are incredibly stage-based. Oh, yeah. You are a dude that loves to go out to uh, an outdoor theater that we have here and interact and watch the majesty of what is real stagecraft. Absolutely. And it, it is a dying art, unfortunately. Yeah. It's the, the more digital we get, we'll talk a little bit about that later, the more digital we get, the irony of us being a podcast that you're listening to, is that that stagecraft is a dying rarity. With that really being said, is. though, wherever you're listening to this podcast from, I encourage you to go out and see just community theater. Yes. You know, yes. yeah. Go to the big theaters, you know, here in St. Louis, it's the Fox or, you know, Broadway, obviously in New York. But if there's a small theater company where the people aren't even getting paid, right. they're doing it for the love of the game. Here in St. Louis, for a $15 ticket, you can see unbelievable talent, mm-hmm. you know, and it's a dying art, but there's still a lot of great theater going on. There is. And I encourage you to get out there and watch as much as you can and, and you know, get a little culture there is and i remember specifically uh i've been uh facebook chatting with a friend of mine named lisa wolniakowski who now has a new last name because she's not wolniakowski anymore right is it smith i hope <laughs> it is not it's a long uh it's a long italian name Vic. nothing wrong with that yeah it's a long italian name but uh, the, the bottom line is i've been talking with her and her and i were in harvey oh wow when uh, when i was in high school one of my favorite plays and uh, the reason i remember the play also is because i that was one of my very first light bulb moments where I knew I was going to be very artistic and I did the wow. program cover and put the program cover on the back of the theater inside of the high school and very, very exciting to, to remember that play. Were you the James Stewart role? Were you the, were you uh, the no, no, I was Judge Gaffney in that. Oh, oh, okay, okay. I was Judge Gaffney in that. Such the memories that just yeah, roll back yeah, instantly. And that's what I remember about theater and I know that theater has also helped me infinitely in my push as a podcaster mm-hmm, mm-hmm. over the last 10 years. Absolutely. So again, thanks for a tiny little mention about Harvey inside this movie. Streak! Ray Liotta before turning a corner. Okay, and there's there's a couple of corners that I'm going to mention here. Okay. The first one is going to be looks. Now, again, in two months, April 2nd, 1970, for me, I will be 45 years old. And I have, in just the last year and a half, recognized that I, too, am turning an age corner. There are more wrinkles in the mm. corners of my eyes. Tell me about it. I can feel my I'm hair getting you, thinner, pal. though you and I both have excellent heads of hair. But there is a change of coming. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so I, I obviously I can't talk too much about the age thing with Ray Liotta. But the first corner is Ray's turned an age corner and he turned I think he turned an age corner early. Yeah. And did. I think it was because of his Hollywood living. Yeah. Probably. Uh, but he definitively changed an age look corner. But then he also turned another corner where Ray Liotta, the guy that was in Field of Dreams, the guy that was in Goodfellas and a handful of other really great films has been in a bunch of crap. Yeah, it's true. He hasn't made a lot of hits. I, th- this is one of his best. Mm-hmm. Uh, he I has agree. so few lines inside of this, but even just the spring in a step that you see inside of a guy that had the spring in the step right. is spectacular. And to be able to capture that as an actor, I've always said this, especially inside of stagecraft, the less you say, the more you convey. Less is more, There's absolutely. no doubt about it. Inside this movie, he hits a literal home run. Absolutely. Uh, saying very little... What he does say, in particular at the end of the movie, where yeah. he says, well, you're not invited. Right. And even that, that little, it wasn't ominous and could have turned into a zombie movie. Right. But the face, when he says oh, that, the face he makes is it, absolutely perfect. It is striking. It is perfect. And uh, again, I recognize this movie as the one before Ray started turning corners. And it is a spectacular movie. And when he's, There's something that he says. I can't remember what exactly he says in it. 
but he does a laugh that's very Henry Hill. <laughs> yeah. You know, just kind of the way that laugh is. It's yeah. funny how they do it. Yeah. Oh, he was uh, talking about Ty Cobb. Oh, right. He's talking about Ty Cobb. We didn't Cobb. ask him to play because we hated him. <laughs> yeah. like, oh, my God, it's Henry Hill. <laughs> it was outstanding, yeah. In fact, that we're talking about Ray Liotta. Streak! The cast. Now, obviously, we're not going to go into depth for every single one of these folks, but we must mention at least the very best that are inside of this. One... Kevin Costner. Mm-hmm. Kevin Costner has been a favorite actor of mine since his inception. I think he's great. He, he is spectacular. He's had his flops, but the vast majority of movie making that he has been involved in is extremely well done feature filmmaking. My favorite role of his is when he plays Jim Garrison in JFK. You, you have mentioned that several times. He and you know what? So it's the great. passion. Yeah. It is the passion that comes out of that and that you and I can wax philosophic about the validity of what happens inside of JFK is fun. No, right. But, but I mean, the, just him. The role yeah. is spectacular. Right, right. He, he is Jim Garrison. He yeah. is oozing passion. Even if Jim Garrison was not that passionate about what he was talking well, about. He was, though. He was. He was. There is fire truly inside of Kevin Costner inside right. that role. And the cool thing about that movie, sorry, and we'll get back to no, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jim Garrison uh, and, I, and when I got to meet Kevin Costner, it was all about black or white. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But when we were getting the wrap it up sign from the people who had to take him to another radio station, I said, Kevin, I have to ask you one quick question about something else. <laughs> and this is a Vic specialty inside of his interviews, by the way. I said, what was it like <laughs> to play a guy who was actually in the movie playing another guy? Because Jim Garrison has a cameo as Warren. Warren. Yeah, and not just a guy he was playing. He was playing the enemy. The head of the Warren Commission, right, <laughs> yeah. the enemy, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, we didn't have much time to talk about it. And, he, you know, he gave me as, as good as a, a answer as he could in, in a small amount of time. But how cool is that to play somebody who's in the movie playing somebody else? And, by the way, what kind of conversations did you guys have while you were making that movie? Yeah. Anyway, that's all. Uh, it's, it's excellent. Kevin Costner's wonderful. The other one I always talk about, we've talked a little bit about already, is Dances with Wolves. That commentary is definitive movie maker commentary. And Vic is absolutely right. That was a film made by much of Kevin Costner money. There so it was black walls. or white, by the way. Yeah. yeah. There, there were walls hit and the walls had to be somehow scaled. And the way that they were scaled was with literal Kevin Costner wallet. What kind of leap of faith is that? It's a huge leap of faith. It's what, it's what gives me a lot of super cool positive vibes for someone like Arnold Schwarzenegger where inside the third Terminator film he too grabbed checkbook and said here I did not know that go get this done I did not know that that entire scene where he's smashing through the mall on the end of the yeah, uh, yeah. the giant crane thing all of that would have never happened that entire scene if he didn't pay for it if he didn't pay for it out wow. of his own pocket and the, the, that's it's not just the definitive I have lots of money here let's go do this it is that Something you believed in absolutely yeah. and I love it when people can get behind and and foster things that they believe in so so wonderfully Amy Madigan as Annie Kinsella what a wonderful supportive wife that frankly reminds me a lot of your wife yeah she is I, I've only met her a couple of times but there's a lot of what I sense of your wife inside of Annie inside. It's of not easy being a wife of a radio guy, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, honey, I got to go to this, I got to go to that, you know. Uh, I talk about her on the air all the time, <laughs> and she knows it's coming. I warned her about it when we got married, and she is. I, I could not have married a more supportive person. So yeah. she is kind of like like. And, uh, and Annie. so that that's what you get. You get a woman that you know is able to see all the awesome baseballness that's mm-hmm. going on. So that's good. Yeah. Because if that wasn't there. Oh, then I'd have a real problem with Absolutely. it. Absolutely. It's spectacular in that she's there to stand not only by her man, but by her own convictions. Mm-hmm. That scene inside the gymnasium, mm-hmm. it, you know, <laughs> it is wonderful. Yeah, she does a good job. It's, it's, it's wonderful. Ray Liotta. We've talked about Shoeless Joe here inside the movie. and the Again, the from everything, from the semi-lit appearance. 
of Shoeless Joe Jackson to the casual conversations about Ty Cobb to the end where he literally tells Ray, but you're not invited, Ray. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it is filmmaking. It is acting. And it is such a small role in a giant movie, but somehow still gigantic. You know, Shoeless Joe Jackson could have been a name we talk about like Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig and Ty Cobb. Mm-hmm. He was that good of a player. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure he never even learned how to read. And legend says, and I, I don't know, you know, you want to believe what you want to believe mm-hmm. and, and, mm-hmm. and what you believe you want to be true. Yeah. But that he would never have thrown a baseball game mm-hmm. ever. Right. And, you know, those guys on the White Sox uh, were acquitted actually in a court of law, but the baseball commissioner, who I believe was Kennesaw Mountain Landis at the time, mm-hmm still ban them from baseball because if there's one thing, I mean, look at how many guys have taken drugs. Yeah, it's okay. You know? Mm-hmm. Still, sure, it's fine. Mm-hmm. But there's one sign in every clubhouse in Major League Baseball that says, no gambling. Mm-hmm. And that's it. You know? Mm-hmm. And the guy who threw the uh, 1919 World Series, Arnold Rothstein mm-hmm. was his name. And I don't know, did you watch Boardwalk Empire? No, I did not. On the list. He's a huge character. Oh, yes. Okay, okay. Because Nucky Johnson was the real guy. His name was Nucky Thompson in the show. Hung out with all the criminals. He was all the gangsters. Yeah. And Arnold Rothstein actually went to Nucky Johnson and asked him to help him get uh, uh, acquitted of the charges of throwing the 1919 World Series. Right. And, huh, isn't it funny that they were all acquitted in a court of law, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Very interesting. And, uh, again, I love going into that uh, almost a specter of past baseball history, but then coming out on the end of it at the end of this film, because, you know, you start off with Shoeless Joe Jackson, mm-hmm. maligned, he threw the game, did he mm-hmm. throw the game, blah. But as you start getting through it and then you start filling up this field with dead baseball players, mm-hmm. it turns into where they're not all prospective criminals, but they're right. people that want to come back and play the game. Right. In fact, so much so that we saw there was a cardinal in there that you speculate is. Might be Rogers Hornsby. Mm-hmm. Who and de- the- define that, because there's a lot of people that have heard the name, Rogers- but again, because he's so far out back then, right, West, right. Rogers Hornsby was uh, has gone down in baseball history as the greatest right-handed hitter of all time. Mm-hmm. He was a great player, was a player manager. Mm-hmm. What? You, don't, you, know, you just <laughs> yeah. don't say that at all anymore. Yeah. A player manager for the St. Louis Cardinals back in the 20s, and Rogers Hornsby played so long ago that in Bush Stadium and any stadium in Major League Baseball, they retire numbers and they put their numbers up in their name. He played so long ago that he didn't wear a number. <laughs> and it just has it says Rogers Hornsby and then an STL, like a St. Louis Cardinal thing. And just as a side note, the team that started putting numbers on the backs of jerseys mm-hmm. was the New York Yankees. Yeah. And the numbers that they wore signified where they were in the batting order, which is why Ruth wore three and Garrick wore four. Oh. Yeah. So Rogers Hornsby was. Again, I mean, the greatest right-handed hitter of all time. Well, right now, if you go to any Major League Baseball team's website, mm-hmm. they all look the same. It's one template, and you just put in your team's stuff there. Yeah. But if you go to the Atlanta Braves, it'll be the exact same thing, except not the Cardinals logos, but the Braves logo. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like that back in 1996. Mm-hmm. Cardinals, no, it wasn't 96. It was a year that the Cardinals were not in the playoffs. During the regular season, you know when you go to the game and you keep scoring a scorecard? Yeah, scorecard. 6 4 3 they would do an electronic version on their mm-hmm. website. Sure. As the game was going on. Yeah. I remember them. I remember that I remember that vividly. Cubs had it too. Well, when when the Cardinals were not in the World Series, they would put up old scorecards. Mm-hmm. And they had the 1926 World Series oh, scorecard up. Wow. Oh my god. Wow. Like one game, 
Babe Ruth was 0 for 5, and Rogers Hornsby was like 4 for 5. Mm-hmm. Next game, Rogers Hornsby was 0 for 4, and Ruth hit three home runs. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it, it's, it's so fascinating to me that Babe Ruth and Rogers Hornsby played against each other in, in a World Series. 50 years from now, we'll talk about two players who did it this year. Yeah. You know? But back then, and I have such an obsession with 1920s, 30s, 40s baseball. You know? Well, I think it's because it, while it was a game and something that we can go back to and pedal to, like we talked about at the beginning of this podcast, it, it is definitively different. Yeah. There are definitively different things inside of baseball now that you look at that are uncharacteristically different mm-hmm. than back then, but it's still the game. It's the same game. It is the same game. Back to the cast list. So we got Timothy Busfield as Mark, the evil banker that trumpets in his black uh, jeep inside of this film i've seen him in other things he's he's an excellent character actor that's been in a variety of things i remember him inside of the 90s being inside of a i think it was a medical drama maybe uh, er perhaps he's one of those faces where it's Mm -hmm. like i know that guy yeah but he's excellent here as as annie's brother who is very concerned about her and her daughter's welfare not so much about the the idiot farmer that's plowing under his corn Mm -hmm. but he's concerned at least until he starts seeing the dead baseball players. Right. And then he's ready to get Don't on tell board. the farm, right? Don't tell the farm. <laughs> That's right. That was great. It was great. That whole scene. Yeah. That whole scene is excellent. James Earl Jones. Now, in a year where we know at some point inside of this new Star Wars movie, we'll hear his voice somehow, whether he's going to be the voice of Darth Vader slash used to be Anakin slash whatever. We're going to hear his voice. But inside of this, he gives us a wonderful, different schema of what is James Earl Jones. Yeah. He is Terrence Mann. And Terrence Mann, for the very few lines that he has inside of this film, are ridiculously powerful, probably because they're delivered mm-hmm. by the voice of Darth Vader. He's the, he's the best. He's he's incredible. Could, as the, an actor, I could not even imagine acting across from James I, Earl Jones. I remember you mentioning that as we were watching this film tonight, and I, I totally agree with you. In fact, I think it would be a blessing to be able to share a stage anywhere, yeah. whether it was a set inside of a feature film or on stage, which James Earl Jones still does to mm-hmm. this day very often. He played uh, Driving Miss Daisy just recently. Yes, Broadway. yes, the, uh, the driver, yeah. And, uh, you know... It, he is he is another treasure inside well, of modern is, day man. filmmaking. He really is. Yeah. Dr. Archibald Moonlight Graham. What can you say about the man? Burt Lancaster. Just phenomenal. You know, this was Burt Lancaster's final film. Yeah. Yeah. And what a what a, what a way to go out for a guy who had to be a sports fan. Mm-hmm. I don't know that for a fact, mm-hmm. but he was in this. He also, back in the day, black and white film, played Jim Thorpe, mm-hmm. who was a an American Indian, mm-hmm. went to Carlisle College, which was a college just for Indians. Yeah. When I say Indian, American, you know, uh, Native Feathers American. Feathers, not dots. Right. 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 <laughs> <God>. um, <laughs> but it's funny how his character in this played for the New York Giants. Yeah. And Jim Thorpe played for the New York Giants. Yeah. And they both played for John McGraw. Right. Jim Thorpe for real and, and the fictional character of, uh, of Archibald. Moonlight Graham. Mm-hmm. And in the Jim Thorpe movie, John McGraw was a manager they don't make anymore. Mm-hmm. They Something happened. They broke the mold or something. And, yeah. And he, the, so Jim Thorpe, he gives Jim Thorpe the bunt sign. And instead of bunting, Jim Thorpe hits a home run, wins the game. Mm-hmm. The, all the people in attendance have no idea mm-hmm. that Jim Thorpe got the bunt sign. And then when he runs back into the clubhouse, all happy, hey, I won the game. John McGraw says, you're fined and you're suspended. Mm-hmm. He says, well, I, I just won the game. He goes, I told you to bunt. 
doesn't happen anymore. Oh, sure. Well, you and know? it can't. It can't happen anymore. Right. So I think this character, <laughs> Moonlight Graham, is just great. He played one half of one inning in his Major League Baseball career mm-hmm. and then found a more important calling, really, when yeah. you think about it. Yeah. Medicine, so much more important than baseball. As yes. much as, you know, we love baseball. Sure. And that scene where he has to make a decision, the same decision he had to make in his real life, mm-hmm. in his ghost life, mm-hmm. to save Ray Kinsella's daughter from from choking, and he walks off the field, mm-hmm. turns back into the old... The old guy with the doctor's back. And he can't go back. Right. Whew, that's powerful. And, and what I love, too, is that that is a piece of story writing that works wonderfully, because... Hey, dude, it's a story that's written. Why couldn't he go back on? Well, and the answer is because that's how the story's written. That's right. Get over <laughs> and, and I love that. I love that. I love that. The bottom line is that the cast inside of this film was extraordinary. From the top to the absolute smallest player. And it is something to be revered. Streak! The digital detail and a tale of closed caption. Hmm. All right. So here, Vic, is my life. <laughs> Tonight, while I was preparing to watch this film before you came by to do the perspective review during our first episode of Two Guys Talking Baseball, I wanted to bring this from home. I forgot it from home this morning. So I decided, okay, no problem. Well, I'll just stop by Target and I'll get a copy of it. So I walk into Target and I am reasonably intelligent, in particular when it comes to movies, okay? (laughs) Okay, I'll give you that. Right, okay. So I'll walk into a place and I'll go, okay, so it's either alphabetical or how about sections? So where would this movie fall? Sports. The sports section. So it wouldn't be in the drama section. Probably sports. You think so? No. Or would it be in the regularly bought and now cheap section? Maybe that. <laughs> okay. So I figured. Didn't well, think of that section. <laughs> I thought maybe that. Or maybe it's on sale. Maybe it's on the on sale section. So instead of having to dig around through all the, the inside of Target, it was terrible how it's not set up to go and find anything. Mm. So I just stopped and asked. And I said, hey, man, can you whip out your your humadinger thing, thing yeah. yeah and you know coo, 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 coo. i don't see it here hey uh wilson i'm wondering oh, if you can find uh feel the dreams <laughs> ah, he doesn't see it there sir i'm not sure so wilson shows up and he plugs into his little digital doohickey and oh sir that thing's only online oh so I see you're going to be no help at all for me tonight. I'm so glad I came. You have to buy it have it delivered to your house or something? You have to buy it online. It will be delivered to your house. Okay, well, you know, thanks for nothing. And I stopped to tell the manager that. I literally, I walked over to the courtesy counter. And I said, would you mind paging the manager real quick? And they did. And she came by. And I provided her just my, you know, you're wasting my time. Mm-hmm. I would have bought something here tonight had you had something for me to buy. Right. And I'm leaving without purchasing anything. And I, because I could have gotten it online. I don't know that I'm going to come back for any movies Why? ever. Why? Why okay, bother? so you're losing my business. <laughs> okay. So there's the first part of the story. Second part, I go to a place called Slackers here inside oh, of yeah, Sydney. Yeah. Of course, Slackers is a secondhand store where you get movies and blah. They obviously have to have this because it's so old. It's 1989. It's a classic. It's got to be there, right? Wrong. Oh, my God. Nothing. Blu-ray, DVD, nothing. Don't have it. All right. I give up. You know where I'm going to go? I'm going to Walmart. And even though my wife was fired from Walmart three weeks ago, I'm going to Walmart because I need this movie. I got to watch it tonight. So I walk into Walmart. I go to their sections. Again, the absolute disarray of where does where do things live here? And I went and asked somebody, and not so strangely, they pull it up in the digital doohickey. Oh, you can get this online. Oh, boy. oh great. That's awesome. So my last ditch effort, I go to a pawn shop. Really? I go to a pawn shop. 
I called the I've called the pawn shop on the way to the studio here, and I go, "Hey man, have you got Field of Dreams on DVD or Blu-ray?" And they go, "I don't know. We got a couple hundred movies. You want to come and look?" All right, I'll come and look. <laughs> so I pulled into the local pawn shop, and I started sorting through the movies. And I'm like, "No, no, no, no." And I found some other stuff. And for two bucks, why not? Uh, they can serve as perspective reviews inside of both your effort and my effort and anything else that we do here. And no, they also don't have it. So I finally got here to the studio. I jumped on Amazon and I bought it through the Amazon Prime program digitally for nine bucks. Oh, good. Downloaded it. Right. Look what but, time you could have saved me. Uh, well, true. But the, the, the whole point is that it had to go digital right. to me, for me to get this movie that is a spellbindingly classic movie. Everybody right. knows this movie. Mm-hmm. And that's what I ended up having to get. And the neat part is that the closed captioning side of this are way more comfortable to read. Yeah. They're in this center console position with black and white lettering, which is traditional closed captioning. That's awesome. But they're right in the center console area of the screen as opposed to across the entire bottom of the screen. Great stuff. Streak! The glory of baseball trivia. Now, Vic, you've mentioned, Jesus, a hundred things already about baseball trivia. Too much? No, not at all. <laughs> Not at all. And you know why? Because the more baseball trivia you flip into shows like this, the better off everybody's going to be. In in particular, because I am not the guy for baseball trivia. There's a lot of things that I remember, but it's because of the perspective thing that I have when I remember things. Mm -hmm. It's not because I need to remember the trivia or because it means something. Mm -hmm. But the trivia you'll provide inside of the show is tremendous. And the neat part about this movie is that there is the glory of baseball trivia. There is. Ray goes through a giant line of stuff inside of at least two or three scenes inside this movie where it is true baseball trivia that he just outlines as a matter of fact, throws it up in your face, and you get to digest it as you see fit. Or or go research it. Or go research it. Or get interested because of the things that you hear. Mm -hmm. Just like I know people will when they hear it inside this podcast. Doubting dreams. Winter comes and goes at the field. Everybody's had this. You build something. This is this is going to be it, Vic. Mm-hmm. This is going to be the one, mm-hmm. and it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what you get here, and it's done wonderfully in an eight-minute segment. Absolutely. You, it, the thing is built. There's excitement. Can't wait for it to happen. Wah, 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 wah. What happens when that's you? I mean, okay, we're talking about a movie where nothing of this, none of this can actually happen. <laughs> right. But let's just say you're the character. Yeah. And you hear the voices and you build it and nothing comes. Where do you go from there <laughs> as that person? Do you just jump off a bridge? Yeah. I mean, what do you what do? Do you, do? Do, you, do you set your tractor in motion and go jump in front of it? You know, right. it, it, it is tremendous. And I love, I love movies that can do this in such a short period of time so simply. And it is becoming a lost art again. Yeah, sure Being able is. to convey concepts like that where you are not bashed over the head because you need to be bashed over the head to be bashed over the head to be bashed over the head. Yeah. Oh, I hate that inside of traditional movie making now. But it happens. It happens way too often. And this is a little tiny taste of classic that you get quick, to the point, with no ceremony at all. There's no soundtrack. There's no nothing behind it. Mm-hmm. You simply have the window. The window fades from the green, luscious field to a picture of snow gathering on the bleachers. Mm-hmm. Done. Streak! Is this a movie about ghosts? No, it's mentioned several times. Hey, a ghost... The kid, hey, you a ghost? The Chulis Joe literally talks about himself and the other guys as ghosts. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see a ghost of an old dead doctor guy twice. Mm-hmm. You see what is apparently the ghost of the young dead doctor, dead doctor guy. Mm-hmm. 
So is this a movie about ghosts that is not quite a ghost story? I guess it is. I mean, even, it, even Ray's dad <laughs> yeah. is, is a ghost, and he gets to have a catch with yeah. him. Yeah, and, and it is striking. You Not only do you have the traditional players that I mentioned, but you have an entire field of ghosts. Right. Field of ghosts, this could have moved. It could have been the entire team ghost team. You know what? I, I think it could have been, but the, the, I guess the, the real true underlining thing of this is, what is your dream? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and yeah, it could have been baseball ghosts or ghost ball. It could have been called any, anything with ghosts. And yeah, ghosts were the vehicle, but it's really about dreams. It's about, you know, Moonlight Graham's dream to, to, to bat one time, to yeah. wink at that pitcher, to make him think that there's something he doesn't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ray Cancella's dream of what he hears and to make that come true. And I think to a certain respect, Terrence Mann yes. even had a dream. All of them did. You know, that, well, see, I, that, that's what I love about interpretations of movies and why we do perspective reviews like mm. this. Everybody's got a different perspective on what they're looking at while you're watching a film. And we all have dreams, Mike. All of us do. You know? the, 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 a better point too, and we talked about this a little bit in the prelude is that everybody makes decisions and you can make the most mundane decision to, I'm going to lean in the chair this direction. Or I'm going to go get in my car and go home uh, an hour early tonight. Or I'm going to plow under my field. Or I'm going to get in the VW van with this crazy guy that thinks I'm one of the messiahs. You know, th- there are decisions that are made inside of this movie that you, you don't even realize because they're the power of pace inside of this inside of this movie, too. But the decision-making process is what drives me inside of this movie. Yeah. For no particular reason, they do insert decision. And... And that you're able to take that and use that as something really exciting inside this film. And the experience of this film is wonderful. I agree. Not being able to pull it off on the first swing. Ah, sorry. (laughs) So here's Shoeless Joe out and left waiting for you to hit a a really screaming fly ball to warm up that little tiny mitt he's got. And you totally screw the pooch. Just (laughs) nothing. You know, grounder to second base. Right, right. It's wonderful. It is. It's wonderful. It's also another piece of perspective that all of us have had. Whether you want to admit it or not, that's the question mark. Yeah. And, and, I, I have and, sat in this chair umpteen times where I start a podcast and I'm not feeling it. There's something that's not driving me, even after the yeah. going back to rewrite an intro or something. Mm-hmm. And it happens to all of us. And that you get to see it here literally with kind of a dink swing of a bat. Mm-hmm. Fun. And how many really times fun. does that happen in a real baseball game? <laughs> you know, yeah. bottom of the ninth, two outs, bases are loaded, three and two. The big hitter comes up and he you know, grounds the ball back to the pitcher in the yeah. game. You know what I mean? It happens like a, yeah. every every game. Bouncer to the pitcher and throw to first and the game is Game's done. over, everybody go home. And wah, wah, wah. Streak! Shoeless Joe's ability to create atmosphere, to relay perspective. Again, I'm referring to the point when he just appears. Mm-hmm. There is, along with the soundtrack that I'm going to lusciously stroke hard inside of this film, mm-hmm. it is wonderful. Uh, Ray Liotta's almost silhouettes moments inside of this film are mm-hmm. beyond striking. Any of them could be ripped and used as art on any wall in any home anywhere. And they are spectacular. And again, as an actor, you know, you get you, you play roles like, you know, again, since we're talking about Ray Liotta, Henry Hill. Uh, wow what what a guy to play you know yeah. uh but to play shoeless joe jackson wow you know the the you know and some the things you hear sometimes you don't know if they're true if they're legend but when the white Sox were banned from baseball he's walking down the steps and a little boy comes up to him and says say it ain't so joe mm-hmm. did that really happen I, I don't know 
But the legend of baseball says it does, and now Ray Liotta gets to play this guy. Yeah. I mean, God, what a feeling as an actor to be able to get out there and do yeah. that. Well, not only to do it, but to pull it off in the level no, that he yeah. did. I, you know, who who would ever go up to Ray Liotta and go, kind of sucked right. when you were pseudoless Joe, dude. Right. Nobody. Nobody. Streak! Laying the laws of the field and the ghosts. You and I talked about this again in the prelude, and I love this movie singularly. Because instead of having to, if this movie was made today, you would have a piece of Ghostbusters and or Ghost Hunters that would have to appear because we'd have to get the laws of how the field works and what the ghosts can and cannot do. Can you shake hands with the ghost? Can they actually throw the ball and the ball doesn't disappear? And uh, we don't need any of that. And that it was not at all levied inside of this film is a piece of filmmaking magic. I agree. It is something you can skip over, even when people don't initially see the ghost, and then they do. It's pushed right past inside of pacing. And, do you and it really is magical. you really explain everything? You do not. You know? Do not. None of this can happen. Right. So let it happen the way it happens. Right. It's let- like Back to the Future. Like, oh, well, you know, that couldn't have happened. Okay, time travel can't happen. Let's start there. Okay? <laughs> right, don't right. Give right. Me- yeah. right, right. And speaking of time travel, you can also go and listen to the 25th anniversary perspective review of Back to the Future over at twoguystalking.com forward slash Back to the Future. Driving through Iowa. No, it's Iowa. Now, I've driven through Iowa accidentally, frankly. <laughs> and Long turn at Albuquerque? Uh, I don't even remember. Mm-hmm. I was following my GPS, and somehow my GPS gave me route through Iowa from... We were up north in Minnesota coming back down, and somehow I got into Iowa. And thankfully, the weather was awesome. It was a period of time during the year that was spectacular for driving. And so Anywhere near Dyersville or no? What's that? Was it anywhere near Dyersville? I don't know. Where you were driving? I don't, you don't know. know. I, <laughs> no, I, I just wanted to get home, man. <laughs> I, want, I wanted to get home before we were running out of money. So anyway, uh, it, it is spectacular, you know? Corn everywhere. Mm-hmm. Everywhere. Mm-hmm. Nothing but corn. Hills, corn, nothing. And... It is spectacular. And so when Ray literally says inside of this, it's Iowa. Mm -hmm. There is a a mystique just like you and I saying, well, no, it's St. Louis. And there is a mystique about that that really does fit. It really does. It's a throwback, you know? I mean, how how much of the country looked like that (laughs) in 1945? Right. Probably 80% of the country. How much of the earth looked like that back back then? Look at it now. Yeah. Just too much big box, Home Depot. Spectacular stuff. Just great stuff. No third-party verification. Watching the baseball men. And no X-Files-esque things going on. Now, again, were this movie made today, there would be at least three or four different zombie moments Mm -hmm. where you'd have, you know, don't make the the baseball men angry. Mm -hmm. Because when they get angry and they talk about Ty Cobb, then they turn into vampires and zombies and goo raining out of their face. And I'm so happy we don't have any of that in this. Right. And you know I, what? The stuff about Ty Cobb was perfect because nobody liked Ty Cobb. <laughs> nobody. Right. And especially the Henry Hill laugh in the middle of it. Yeah. That was spectacular, too. Streak! If you build it, he will come. Voted as number 39 in the most quotable movie quotes. Really? Did you know that? I did not. I didn't either. And there's, a, again, a series of great things that are mentioned in this ease is pain, go the distance. All of those things, and again, what I love about it is that depending on your perspective and your life, you get to choose what it means for the characters, or a character, or Ray, or Shoeless Joe, or 
Terrence Mann, mm-hmm. or you. Mm-hmm. You get to choose what these things mean for you inside the story. Mm-hmm. And I, I have never read the novel, never read the book. No, um, but I would very much like to know if that's what he intended when he wrote the book, is that while these characters are delineated, while the story is delineated, well, even at the end, there's a wondering what those things actually mean. I hope that it's left open-ended so that you, the person that intakes what you're experiencing, gets to pick what that really means. Yeah, I think that's a great perspective because yeah. what does it mean? It means what you want it to mean, depending upon what's happening in your life, you know, contrasted with what's happening in Ray Kinsella's life yeah. at that moment. Yeah, very, very exciting and how I wish a lot more filmmaking was done today. Streak! Boston. What do you know about Boston, Vic? You're from out east, but what do you know about Boston? Uh, Fenway Park. Um, uh, Bruins. You know, uh-huh. it, it, it's funny. The, being from New Jersey and rooting for the Yankees and the New York teams, I have a hatred for the Yank- <laughs> uh, for the Red Sox, the Celtics, <laughs> mm-hmm. the Bruins. Mm-hmm. You know, anything Boston I just never liked. And I've never been there. The other thing I know about Boston is it's incredibly hard to get around. Yeah, if you drive through the city, it's it's easier to get lost than it is to find your way. Sure, even with directions. Mm-hmm. That's all. That's all I know. And Pactacad have it. <laughs> Interesting. There's a, there's a series of movie reviews we're going to be doing here. They're going to fall into the perspective reviews, obviously, but it's going to be the Wicked Smart series of movies where we go back and we find the essentially crime dramas that involve the city of Boston. Mm. So great films like The Town, mm. The Departed, oh, Mystic yeah. River and a a giant cavalcade of others that are going to be inside a definitive listing of the Wicked Smart series of movies from Two Guys Talking. (laughs) Taking the chance and shoving your hands up to the elbow in a heavy door at the risk of losing everything. I want everybody in their lives, and if I, I think that might be what my testimony and legacy in my podcasting efforts is. I want everyone to take at least one chance where the door is closing on you and instead of giving up or maybe coming back for a second time, you stick your arms up to the elbows inside of a heavy door. And while you're going to get injured and it's going to hurt, you get to make your point. Do those things mm-hmm. and and run forward inside of a thought that you have to explain it to people. It has been a the driving force inside of my entire podcast career where I know I have a definitive view and perspective of things. And I want to share that as a legacy for people inside of my podcasting efforts. That's it. But I've also taken that into a business realm where I go and find people that have business skill sets, perspectives, and share those perspectives with people after charging those people money. Mm-hmm. And that's my money-making scheme. Sure. Why not? And so, it's again. America. God bless America. Yeah, yeah. Go forward. And shove your arms in the door. Take the chance. You know, I, I guess we've all had those moments. Mine was uh, when I was at a radio station in New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. WMTR was the name of the radio station. Yeah. Same company owned WDHA, which mm-hmm. was the big rock station that you everybody wanted to work at. Yeah. And there was a program director there that just didn't like me for whatever reason. Oh, I, I can't sent, imagine, Vic. I sent him tapes. Could have possibly been your hatred of the Red Sox. But Every just a, week, just a guess. I sent him tapes. Every week. And to the point where he finally said, you'll never work at this radio station. You're just not right for this radio station. Okay. Interesting. So he got a job in New York, and his replacement was a guy named Mike Boyle, who is my godfather when it comes to you know the business that I'm in, which is radio. And I had a tape waiting on Mike Boyle's desk when he started on his first day. Yeah. He called me in, and he hired me on the spot. Interesting. Interesting. So you know, don't give up on dreams. Yeah. 
Yeah, again, go ahead, stick your arms in up to the elbow. Right. Take that initial hit, but get what you need. Streak! Begging for peace, privacy, and thinking for yourself. No, I mean, what do you want? <laughs> oh, dog and a beer. <laughs> this is wonderful, and I think this is another piece of uh, perspective inside of podcasting that I love, where someone is just going on and on, and I have an idea and a concept, and I want you to know that, blah, do you understand that this is important to me? Right. Right, what but what do you want, want to eat? Right. <laughs> My son calls that uh, A-B comedy. When character A is talking about one thing, character <laughs> B is talking about something else, Yeah, and it comes together finally. It, it is spectacular. And inside of this movie, it's it's. I had forgotten how many laughs there are inside of this movie. Sure. And outright good gut laughs that really make you feel good about what's going on, not only inside of your life, but inside of the and film. That's, that's the biggest one. It, it, that is the biggest one, and it, it is great. And that it happens inside of uh, uh, Fenway is even better. Just the, the characters that got to literally offer up the hot dogs and stuff, just spectacular stuff. <laughs> Streak! Terrence's revelation moment, the swing around shot. So Terrence gets out of the van. That is a, a character in itself. He gets out of the van. The deal's done. Screw this. Ray's heading home. And as he turns the van around 180, standing in the center of the street in all glory that only James Earl Jones could offer is Terrence Mann. Yep. And it is spectacular. It is a it is a revelation moment of revelation moments inside of films. Very often I talk about transitions inside of films. And this is one. This is one where you go, oh, wow. Mm -hmm. And it's another moment where there's so little said. Mm -hmm. Doesn't need to be anything said. <laughs> it, it is great. It is, it is a fun revelation moment inside of this film. And James Earl Jones, Terrence Mann, just lies to Ray Kinsella through this whole movie. Yeah. You know? And it, those are the little... Uh, those are almost breadcrumb revelations, right. and they come because Terrence isn't comfortable offering up all of this information. Just so bleh. private after he's right. Retired. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. And it's great to see that that trust comes out during the movie. There's another revelation that I hadn't even re realized of this film. That's very well said. Streak. Paper remnants. Nothing digital presented. Even really the effects. Right. So even the effects in here are older school effects where they're, they're not really there. Yep. There is nothing digital presented inside of this. Even the kind of whoops, we kind of made a digital effect inside of the scoreboard scene. Even that one is, you yeah. know, it's kind crap. of stupid, let's yeah. crap right. special effects. And it doesn't matter. Doesn't. It doesn't matter. Because all it's got to be is a vision of what someone might see and you going, yeah, I can buy that. Even when, when they walk into the cornfields and disappear, you know, I was thinking any th film student could do that. Any 12-year-old can do that on a... <laughs> on a Mac now. Whatever the software, <laughs> software is. Yeah. And I didn't care. No, I did not care. No. And the pace of the movie pushes you across anything in here that is either effects or where they've got to do some swapping of whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it's, it's seamless. When I'm talking about paper remnants here, I'm also talking about where there are remnants of paper, like a newspaper... <laughs> that are used about to, the doctor, yeah. uh, right exactly and you don't see that much inside of movies unless they're referring to something really old now and i wonder how long it will be until all you've got left is either the microfiche machine or the internet yeah. because it's going that way dude you're talking about history yeah even even present day yeah i mean I, I, when i see a newspaper i grab it you know because to me and, and this was something from my father there's something about sitting down with the paper folded in fours and doing the crossword puzzle yeah. in, in the newspaper. Yeah. You know? what, what I remember it is, you know, in particular, the old USA Today before it shrunk again. 
Uh, but the old USA Today, I remember my dad opening up that paper and opening up the usually the news, the U.S. section of the news, and it would always be opened and then folded in half lengthwise again and mm-hmm. laid on a table mm-hmm. so you could just sit and do a quick read of whatever the articles were there. And that's what I remember about paper. Yeah. And, and it is something to revere, but it is a that is also a spectacularly dying thing. But it's in this film. It is. Streak! The intake of interviews... Looking back and how important the craft of interviewing is. And Vic, it's funny that I'm doing this perspective review with you because you too are one of the gifted interviewers that Mm. thinks about questions outside the box that allows people to provide a graft of their life inside of interviews that will mean something. There's a difference inside of interviews, especially inside of podcast interviews, to asking someone, so what's it like to work with so-and-so? Because anybody can ask that question. When you can ask questions of people that 30 years after they're dead, the answer to the question will mean something as opposed to just something they said. Those are the answers that I want to try and craft and get from people. There's another one of the most gratifying things to me about interviewing people is if you can ask somebody a question that nobody's ever asked them. Right. You know, and almost stump them where for a minute they got to think about what they want to say and answer for. I love that. Uh, especially inside of podcasting because of the edit (laughs) where I can instantly make them sound like they really are interested. That's awesome. Why don't you tell us your Pete Townsend story? Well, in 1989, the who was playing at giant stadium Mm -hmm. and I had the chance to sit with old giant stadium, old giant. Well, it's the same stadium. It's just called MetLife now. Got it. But it used to be called giant stadium before everything had to be sponsored, which is we can do a whole show just on that. (laughs) We will. Uh, But I got to sit with Pete Townsend from the who. Yeah. I'm like, Oh my God. So time was tight. He had to meet listeners, blah, blah, blah. By the time I got to me, he goes, you have one question. The guy says to me, you have one question. I said, great. And Pete's sitting there. He's kind of leaning forward. And I said, Pete, the, the tour, by the way, in 1989 was the 20th anniversary of Tommy. And they did the entire album, then took a break, then came back and did the other great Who songs. So I said, you wrote this album. It's about this deaf, dumb, and blind kid. And it's great. It's genius. It's all interwoven. It makes a story. Except... There's one song by Sonny Boy Williamson, an old blues song by Sonny Boy. I said, why? Why the Sonny Boy Williamson song? I didn't know if I was going to piss him off. (laughs) Yeah. You know? And he says, well, let's talk about Sonny Boy Williamson. And he sat back with his drink, and he he and I talked about blues for 20 minutes. And I cannot confirm this, but I will bet you nobody in 20 years asked him that question. Why the Sonny Boy Williamson song on Tommy? He ended up telling me in the course of that interview that he built the entire opera around that song. Wow. Because guys were all blues fans. Yeah. The Who, yeah. Stones, Beatles, Clapton, they all love blues. And he also scolded me as an American. What's wrong with you people? This is your music. Memphis Slim plays in front of 20 people in a smoky bar in America. He comes to Europe and he plays in a stadium. This is your music. I said, I know. <laughs> That's not right. my fault. Right. But, you know, I mean, when you get that satisfaction of asking somebody something that's never been asked before. Yeah. Mike, I love interviews. I love interviewing people. I wish I could do it more. It's one of the things I love about what I do. And what I love that you do that is, again, a spectacular craft that I love being incorporated in is that it is a craft. Especially in the time of now podcasting. And those of you that are listening to this podcast that have just launched your podcast as per XYZ program. Uh, just remember that there is something to interviewing that is beyond the 10 questions you ask every single person. And the faster you get away from a common list of questions inside of any interview set, the better your interviews will become. You know, we're talking about a Kevin Costner movie. When he came to the station to talk about black or white, which is a story about a guy who 
has a granddaughter who's a biracial girl and she's seven years old and he and his grandma he and his wife had to raise this their granddaughter because the husband was non-existent mm-hmm. who was the black right. guy disappeared and his daughter died during childbirth but the whole movie starts with kevin costner's wife dying in a car crash mm-hmm. and i said to him i said it took me about 10 or 15 minutes just to get over that yeah forget about everything else that the movie's about yeah you know and I started to explain to him that my wife and I kind of have a deal. I got to go first mm-hmm. because I can't live How would you live without her? You right. Mm-hmm. And I started to get emotional when I was talking to him about it. And he was so cool and comforting, cool about it and comforting to me about it. And it's like if I weren't interviewing him, that moment never would have happened. Right. Not only that, would that moment never have happened, I, I and I, I'm talking for Kevin Costner, look at Mike Wilkerson, but I have to tell you that if I was the filmmaker of this film, in particular one that I helped fund, and I get a story like that from you, imagine how gratifying that is for someone like him. Yeah. The filmmaker, the guy that's acting inside of it, the guy that fostered the story, yeah. the guy that literally made the thing happen with his dollars, mm-hmm. gets to get the gratification of you and your satisfaction in his film. And I don't know if anybody said that to him. Well, getting you, over the part that he lost his wife in the beginning right, of the film. Right. Yeah. But the bottom line is that, that you went over that. He got that. Yeah. He got that. Whether or not he could articulate that or whether he realized no, it he yet did. or not. Yeah, he was, he was. Uh, and again, that's what I love about interviews and why this little piece in here where Terrence Mann is interviewing people and it's it. just, it's ad hoc, and but it is wonderful. The questions that he, he asks him, tell me about his wife. Yeah. Well, you, uh, uh, somebody who doesn't write or doesn't, you know, do what we do. Would say who? Who cares? About right. This? Why? That's important. Right. Tell me what about was his, his favorite at bat? Why? Right. Who do we care about? Blah. Right. Correct. Tell me Absolutely. About his wife. Yes. And sure enough, she always wore blue. And <laughs> you know, there's so many great things about her. Yeah. And sure enough, the, he says it twice. Moonlight Graham says, "I got to get back." Or what's her name? Alicia. Alicia's gonna think I got Alicia a girl. I think I have a girl. <laughs> it's brilliant. And uh, the uh, other thing I wanted to mention about uh, for sure about Moonlight Graham, he looks surprisingly. Like my dad with only a mustache. Is that weird for you? Very strange. Mm. Very strange. Mm. Very strange. Streak! Stepping into the past. No effects. Some stage lighting. But nothing more except acting brilliance. What can you say about initially meeting Moonlight Grandma's The Old Doctor? It is a little bit creepy. Just a tiny bit, though. Very stagecraft-esque. All done with lighting. A little bit of smoke. But with wonderful acting absolutely by and, both guys by both guys mm-hmm. well in, in the set i think actually becomes a character inside well, of this little segment thought of something. kevin costner gets to act against james earl jones and burt lancaster in this <laughs> in movie. same film oh my god in the same film right wow. along with being able to interact with people that obviously kevin costner reveres right. the old baseball people are something to kevin costner like pick your favorite stuff mm-hmm. that is some of kevin costner stuff whether he tells people or not yeah. him being able to be steeped inside a baseball history so that he doesn't even have to research anything to be put into the script right. okay well i vote that that's awesome right. <laughs> <laughs> you get my vote too <laughs> Streak! creating atmosphere with soundtrack the atmospheric nature of one james horner now, Vic, I know you love music in general. You are a total diehard music guy. I don't know how hardcore you are on, on soundtracks, though. Can you explain? Well, here's my history with soundtracks. Okay. My son, Chris, who you know, is a piano player. He's not just a piano player, Vic. He's way more gifted than that. He Okay. Right now, he works at a dueling piano bar, one of those crazy <laughs> piano bars. So he is a piano player. That's what he's doing right now, right. actually, as we record this, right. this podcast. Uh-huh. But 
for a while, one of his ambitions was to, to was to score movies. Yeah. And he would take his piano, and he would put a movie on, and he would turn the sound down. Yeah. And he would play what he thought, because he has this gift also to just play. Yeah. If he hears something, he can recreate it. He can't read music very well. And right. He's just one of those gifted yeah. types. Uh-huh. We were watching Catch Me If You Can one night. First time I ever watched it mm-hmm. was with him. Yeah. And about 20 minutes into the film, he hits pause on the thing. He walks over the piano and he starts playing. He goes, you know what that is? I said, I have no idea. Because that's the music you've been listening to for 20 minutes. He's got that thing. Yeah. Where he can hear it. A great soundtrack is what? One you never notice. Right. You know? And I think that's what the guy you're talking about. Yeah. James Horner is spectacular. The listing of his movies, for those of you that don't know James Horner, include Titanic, Avatar, Braveheart. A Beautiful Mind, one that you would just jaw drop if you actually listened to it. Vic, it is spectacular. Love that movie. Uh, Aliens is another one that everybody would recognize if you heard anything from it. Glory, another wonderful film. Mm. Apollo 13. Wow. And so many others. I mean, there's way too many others to focus on. But these that I've listed here are ones that all have what I call, as does John Williams, the guy that scores another amazing amount of awesome. Uh, They all have a call. There is, a, there is a small piece of the music that comes up often to remind you of something. Sometimes way overdone. Yeah, very, very much so. And what I loved about Inside of This and James Horner's music in general. Oh, something else I, remember, I forgot to mention was Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. So the real return and the push inside of what is now real Star Trekdom mm-hmm. is thanks to James Horner. Uh, just, it, it is spectacular. And his innate ability to have the call. And things that just waft back to a particular piece of a storytelling uh, ensemble is magical. And inside of this film, it all becomes atmospheric, in particular inside of this scene where Ray meets the old doctor. It is, it's not eerie and it's not scary. It's not ghost-like. It's atmospheric. Think of, uh, think of you in a reasonably dark room. The studio is something I think of this often as I'm leaving. Uh, the studio here inside of St. Charles, Missouri, just outside of St. Louis, is a very dark room when there are no lights on, except for maybe a, an LED on a television that's still lit, or one of the screen LEDs that's still on, or if there's a, a room that still has a light on but the other doors are closed, you have that light eking out from underneath the door. It's very atmospheric, mm-hmm. but it's not scary. I don't have fear here. There's, mm-hmm. I don't. I think there are ghosts here, but I don't. Oh, have the there fear are ghosts, ghosts in this building. I absolutely <laughs> believe that. I don't have any fear of the ghosts inside of this building. Two floors up, there's ghosts. Yeah, I'm it you. is very atmospheric. Yeah. And that's the kind of music that James that's creates great. inside of his soundtracks, at least for me. You know, and I am a soundtrack whore. Yeah, I am, I'm, I'm not. Uh, but I'll tell you what I love to do sometimes. It, you know, in life, Mike, there's, there's not enough time. Yeah. Yeah. Because what I would love to do is to watch a film and then just listen to a film mm-hmm. without watching. Yeah. And then you start to hear those. You're not well, by the it's visuals. funny that you mentioned that because one, Star Trek Two is where I started doing that when I was when I was about probably right after college, so 22, 23 years old. I started doing a lot of work in my what was then home office, and behind me I would put in Star Trek Two, and the cadence and the the discussion and the power of Star Trek Two in general. Not just because I'm a science fiction fan, but because of what that movie means to me. But that I can put that in, and is that a, that is a background sound noise going on for me i can now tell you where inside the movie just hearing where the music is where inside the movie it is and that is what soundtracks provide to me inside of every film that i see i started doing that believe it or not with warner brothers cartoons yeah 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 i can totally see that i raised my kids on warner brothers cartoons Mm -hmm. because you know i have this fear of 
things being forgotten. Yeah. You know. Well, and you should. Abbott and Costello, mm-hmm. Marx Brothers. My kids know about all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So my son was watching Warner Brothers cartoons, and I'm not watching. I'm just listening. Mm-hmm. And that's when you really get, you know, how brilliant Carl Stalling was. Oh, yeah. Guy that puts the process of the sound in place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, like, you, when you're listening to it, you know if somebody's tiptoeing. Yeah. By the yes. by the music. You know if a hillbilly walks in. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. It is amazing. And Tom and Jerry cartoons right. are another one where... They are spectacular. They have such power. But then they also are very silent and quiet. And then there's more power. And it's all a cadence and a dance that happens inside of soundtracks, especially for me. We're going to link to the soundtrack for Feel the Dreams inside of the show notes for this episode over at twoguystalkingbaseball.com. Please go and buy it. It is atmospheric. It is what literally wraps you in dreams inside a field of dreams. Not needing to have the one, two, three, four, five process of stories, characters, and more. And it doesn't matter at all. So you meet a variety of characters. You happen to have the little, if you build it, he will come. Ease his pain. Go the distance. You have those things that are are kind of a, a skeleton for what happens inside the story. But the meeting of all of these people back and forth, meeting the characters, meeting the real people, meeting the ghosts. It's absolutely haphazard. There is, if you were to swap a couple of these, it wouldn't make any difference. Mm-hmm. If you happen to meet Terrence Mann later, I don't think it would have made any difference. Right. It would have less that's impact, yeah, but it would not make a difference inside of the storytelling. And that's one of the other reasons why I love this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also, again, one of those movies that if you happen to come in at 75 minutes through, you're going to sit and watch the last eight and a half minutes. And it'll move you. And it will instantly move you. In fact, knowing that the end is coming, this movie moves you. This movie moves you so much that I had to dig into the, the notes making because I knew I was going to get totally bent over at the end of this film with the whole dad catch thing. I had to occupy myself. Let me tell you So something. I wouldn't be destroyed on it again. <laughs> Having a catch, to me, is one of the most gratifying things and I still remember exactly where and when my last catch with my dad was. Yeah. Yeah. And my son and I still, you know, we'll have a catch all the time. Having a catch, playing catch. Mm-hmm. It's just, God, it's just music to me. Yeah. You know, let's have a catch. It's, it's the foundational elements of things that are a piece of Americana that are, again, sadly, disappearing exactly right. they are and, and we're going to get more to that okay. as we get into this perspective review of feel the dreams having to talk to the bank a dire time in legacy and the specter of foreclosure this is an admission that will be in the annals of legacy for me instead of two guys talking my wife at 19.5 years at walmart was fired recently and while i will call bullshit on it it is a sad reality and that we are down to one income rather than two incomes. So all of this talk inside of this watching this time of Field of Dreams, while we are not in foreclosure and we are not in trouble with the bank yet, it is spectacularly deeper than it ever has been in my life watching this film. The difference is that, one, I'm not a farmer. <laughs> two, I can make larger sums of money than probably Ray as a farmer could probably ever make. And so I don't have any despair, but... This is the first time inside of storytelling, in particular inside of a pseudo ghost story slash pseudo not real story, 
that that has struck me and it struck me differently for sure mm -hmm. and how yeah. many times is that you know that's like like in the classic oh we're gonna lose the farm you know going back to 19 you know whatever yeah. 40s you know movies yeah. yeah it's in so many different stories and you know coming out of the the rough times that this country's come out of mm -hmm. it's a reality for so many people yeah and again singularly home hitting in, inside of this this review for sure Streak. meeting a young archie <laughs> i love this actor love i remember this actor from so many great films the one that i always remember him from is from born on the fourth of july another film that must be done in perspective review um that one again talks about a, a person of completely different political lean that I will love reviewing because of both my political lean, but also the story that's told. That is a heartbreaking story, but one of absolute perseverance and overcoming goals and reaching beyond what you think you can to pull, th pull something off. And it is a, it is a great story, but uh, this guy plays a young friend of the main lead character inside of that. And I always remember him from that movie. Streak. Saying something mean and taking it back before the funeral i think all of us at one point have said something terrible to our fathers absolutely even if we were an angry 18 year old mm -hmm. i remember saying something specifically angry to my dad and my then bonus mom who i now have a wonderful relationship both my dad and my bonus mom mm -hmm. but i remember saying something terrible and i left mm -hmm. and i never went back home mm -hmm. and it was a couple of years before i went and did anything slash said anything to them in fact this movie was during that period of time uh, looking back at it now and i remember specifically after watching home alone and the end of home alone and then calling my dad right after that movie oh, right. and uh so you know this is one of those tiny choke moments where sure. everybody's got it in their yep. life yep. and being able yep. to look back on perspective and how hopefully things will happen before a funeral this is where i encourage all of you that have not taken the time to contact your mom or dad mm -hmm. or the person special to you before the funeral. Do it now. Yeah, don't worry. Do it now. Streak! Joy in the stands. Now, there's only three people in the stands. <laughs> but they're happy. <laughs> oh, man, they are happy. Three-person wave. Those are the people that, yeah, again, you and I have to pay total homage to Cardinal fans of every ilk, even kind of the angry ones here inside of St. Louis. Because, folks, as much as you think your fans rule... Sorry. Cardinal fans rule. We do. Cardinal fans and the f the fan fanning of Cardinals is unlike anything I have ever seen in any city that I've either visited or lived in for any sport across the board. My first Cardinal game ever, I was sitting in my seat <laughs> and two rows in front of me and over a little bit to my right were three nuns. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's good. We got that on our side. <laughs> yeah. But one of them was keeping score. Yeah, and the Scorecard. vision Hell yeah. of a nun keeping score <laughs> at a ball game. I was like, oh, "You're in the right God. place, man. Yep. Give me a beer. Yep. Beer and a dog, dog, man. Beer and a dog. This is heaven." Streak. <laughs> <laughs> Caring about ghosts, not being able to go back. Mm -hmm. So this is it. This is the doc that, even though it's a story, even though it's a character, even though you met him on the side of the road as a young man. He can't go back. Right. And it matters. Yeah. It really does matter. And the shot of his feet, his feet are on the grass, and then there's gravel an inch in front of his toes, and it takes a second for him to come. I think he knew 
that he was going to do yeah. it. There's no doubt that he wasn't going to go save a little girl. Yeah. But I think he kind of took the moment. The character took the moment. Drinking it in. Absolutely. It in, saying, I totally okay, agree with that. I'm here. I've had my dream. Okay. Time to go. Yes. And, and again, it's spectacular. And it's those, I, I, I hope that that was Burt Lancaster inside of that, that actually took those steps. Yeah. It didn't have to be. Yeah, but if true. it was, it is timed perfectly, edited sure perfectly. Yep. And it means so much, again, when you're saying nothing. Mm-hmm. Nothing being said there. You know. Oh, by the way, there's a little girl choking to death. Right, right, right. <laughs> Talk about I love that. Not talking. I, I I was in a play called A View from the Bridge, which was an Arthur Miller play. Yeah. And I was the lead. I was Eddie Carbone. Mm-hmm. And the director of that play, Tom Cop, who lives not too far from here. Yeah. He is the king of awkward silence. Yeah. And something happens, you know, and the girl says something. And then I, I paused for a couple of seconds. And then I said, he goes, no, more. So I waited like 20 seconds. He's not try a little more. I mean, an awkward 30 seconds of me squirming mm-hmm. because I'm not saying anything. But what was brought out to the audience was I'm squirming because as a character, I don't know what to say back to this girl. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Just great. It's just great. I, and I love moments like that. And those moments happen a lot inside of the voice uh, the voice farm that actually is a piece of two guys talking here. And I love it when those magical moments happen. But I love it even more when the people that are in voiceover get what I'm trying to reach. Sure. It really does matter, and it does make the difference. Streak! Suddenly seeing it. It doesn't happen all the time, but when it does happen, it's great. I love this. The extraordinary moment where the give-me-your-farm banker so that my sister doesn't go and do <laughs> decline and kill herself. Mm-hmm. It is spectacular when suddenly the switch flips, and he goes, wait a minute, where do these baseball players come from? Ray, you're not selling the farm. Right. We the do farm. not sell the farm, Ray. Right. <laughs> it's it's great. great it's great. And again, it doesn't happen all the time, but again, it extends yeah. onto life's things yeah. where you want something to happen, and you know what? It just didn't happen this time. Yeah. But eventually down the line, when it does happen, it's great. It's magic. It is. Streak! What's in it for me? This is, is a, this, this is a spectacular piece of the film that I think a lot of people don't look in on. Especially when you pour time and effort into something, you want at some point to be able to go, wait a second, I'm looking in my empty pocket. Where, where's my give back for all of the things that I've done? And that you ha- literally have a moment where this innocuous, ghostly man looks at Ray and says, but Ray, you're not invited. Mm-hmm. And there's thunder inside of the words that sound like nothing. Mm-hmm. It is spectacular Mm -hmm. and that he is able to shut down Ray and that Ray finally does get it. Ray's in a piece of turmoil with himself during a lot of this portion of the scene. But there is a time where he finally feels the he feels the blanket of not being on fire anymore. Right. right. And it is wonderful to see it inside of Kevin Costner's presentation. Childlike joy for Terrence Mann. (laughs) Vic, I don't know when the last time you had childlike awesome. Like Terrence Mann gets here as he's about to enter into the field. But I hope that you get to have this way more often than most people do. <laughs> because, again, James Earl Jones hits a home run as he's heading towards the outfield. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, is, it is spectacular. Yeah, it there, really is a, is. there is a, a childlike smile, him bending over a little bit to kind of hopefully see where they're going or where he's going to go. And, <laughs> it is magical. You don't know, or maybe we do know if we researched it hard enough, we don't know who else was considered for that role yeah. or if it was always written for James Earl Jones in the screenplay if it was always written for James Earl Jones yeah. 
But there's so many movies where you watch and you say, oh, any actor could have done that. Yeah. But in this case, I don't think any actor. I don't think so either. I think he's the only one that could have pulled that off. And I would agree with you in that. And again, I go back to those moments that we've already talked about inside the film where could some other actor have pulled off most of those things? One of my favorite lines from this film, and it's because it's trumpeting inside of it, is... Peace, love, dope. Right. Now get the hell out of here. Tape from the 60s. <laughs> it is it is magical, and I can't imagine another actor no, pulling those things I off. Agree. I just, I can't. Streak. Soundtrack and a scene about having a catch. Vic, it's the scene that makes me into a blubbering pile of man flesh. If you're not human, then maybe you don't. But it is the one that gets me every single time because, one, my dad didn't play baseball. Yeah. My dad was a Frisbee guy. Yeah. And so I haven't had a catch with my dad. Mm, that's interesting. Uh, my dad left when we were seven. I didn't begin living back with him until I was 14. Mm. And so my Little League championship years with the Hoffman Estates Angels was completely missed by my dad. Mm. And so I didn't have a catch. Is he still alive? He is. Does he, he is. regret that? I, I don't. I think there's a... There is a it's kind of like a map where you can look at a map and if you were to look back at the, he's, he's kind of explained it to me uh, and I'll share this he's kind of looked at it and explained it like a map where you can go back and know where you were but the guidelines and details of the topography on the map it's blurred and so you don't really remember it and so from 7 to maybe 12 those are blurred years and that I was there and I was going for regular visits and things were happening. I'd go and have my two Christmases and my two birthdays and you had all of that. Yeah. But all of my baseball life, all of it, the statues that I still have, the gloves that I still have, the uh, jersey that I stole, I still have. What I don't have is my dad seeing or witnessing any of that. And so I love this movie because I get to see a father and son have a catch, but it's not my dad. And that's where we ask you, what did you guys think about the having a catch with your dad moment inside of Field of Dreams? It is a bolder moment for just about anybody that hears it, including the hosts of the Two Guys Talking Baseball podcast. Insert the tone. Streak! Envisioning meeting yourself slash your father. Now, this is something that I've done a lot of times, in particular in my moments of triumph in my life. Where I imagine, very much like I think Vic does, especially with the time travel thing that you and I are enamored with, in that if somewhere in the crowd or in a a grocery store or in a room where there are other people, where there is someone that is physically older than you and or I are, well, that's us. Mm -hmm. And they're watching the younger us Mm -hmm. waiting to either walk up and go, hey, dude, don't bother with that. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I'd like you to stand about. 10 feet to your right or you know that thing you want to do next week I don't worry about that so much and I don't know if that's a fatherly thing because I get that from my dad and I talk to my dad really often now at least three four times a week especially when I'm in the car now I don't know what it's I could do another podcast called car talk with dad Mm -hmm. and I don't know what it is about that but being able to take that perspective and jump outside your body and wish that your older self 
could come back and not tell you, hey, bet on the Cardinals in 2032 because guess what's happening. Not talking about that. Not talking about ruin it like it happens for Marty and Back to the Future. Just talking about those guiding moments where it's not a guardian angel. It's not someone that's jumping in from some other dimension. It's you. Mm -hmm. And I think about that often. Yeah, I, I don't. Um <laughs> Because I, I mean, Mike, that's that's a great perspective that, I just, that I've, I've just never had. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, my dad's been gone. You know, it'll be 13 years um, next October. And the thing about my dad is, there's a guy. This is crazy. There's a guy who works at Deer Burks. Yeah. Okay. He's mm -hmm. worked there forever. Yeah. And he is a manager of some kind, but he'll be fixing the inventory on the yeah. shelves. And you know. for those that aren't in St. Louis, Deerberg's is a very Super. large supermarket, a grocery store, essentially. This guy wears the same cologne that my father <laughs> wore. Yeah. And Mike, I swear to God, when he's working, I will make believe I am shopping and then I just to walk by him to smell him. Dude, I started wearing Skin Bracer recently because it reminds me instantly of my father. Yeah, it's crazy. That is funny as hell. And my dad has, you know, some of the, some of the, the stories <laughs> about my dad... He was a school principal, you know. He wasn't, you know, anything bigger than that. He was a teacher, and then he got a principal gig. But the things he said to me, some of the things he said to me, and the one that always stands out in the story I always tell was a Saturday morning in 1967. So I'm nine years old, and the Saturday paper was on the kitchen table, and he comes downstairs for breakfast. And the headline was, Seven-Day War Ends yeah. Between Israel and yeah. Palestine. Yeah, yeah. And I said, Dad, look, the, the Seven-Day War has ended. And he got the mad face on. He goes, no. Those people have been fighting for a thousand years, and they'll fight for another thousand years. And I'll be damned if They're still going. Later, they're still going <laughs> Still at going at it. it. Yeah, yeah. There's those little things that he said that, you know, always rung with me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I guess, I, I don't know, but I, I love your perspective of seeing yourself. I mean, I wrote a story where a guy actually does see himself. Mm -hmm. you know, another time travel yeah, yeah. thing. I don't want to get into the whole story. It'll just take forever. But this guy actually doesn't even realize that he is really, truly talking to an older version of himself. Yeah. And then he will become the older guy and wait for himself to come around again. Very interesting. And again, I, I love that perspective of you being able to usher yourself even before you even know that you're ushering yourself. Right. And that really does speak to time travel and science fiction. And love it. A story that absolutely has to be written. Maybe I can get you to help me write that out. That's Let's awesome. <laughs> Believe it or not, it's time to take a break during the Two Guys Talking Baseball perspective review of Field of Dreams. Before we go to break, though, we've got a piece of trivia. Vic, I have a piece of trivia for you. These two actors were given the Oscar inside of 1996 for a movie that they wrote. They were featured, though without credit, inside of the Fenway Park scene, inside of Field of Dreams. So Any idea who they are? We know very, very Huge well. actors, giant actors, but uncredited in the film. Any and we idea? didn't know them very well at the time. Uh, no, no. Mm -mm. Any idea? No. Well, we'll find out that answer when we come back here during Two Guys Talking Baseball's perspective review of Field of Dreams. We'll be right back. Looking for a straightforward user interface and a cost-effective, feature-filled, multi-track recording software? Call off the search! Mixcraft from Acoustica has exactly what you're looking for. It's time to include reliable audio creation and editing software with real punch into your projects. Check out Mixcraft now over at Acoustica.com forward slash Mixcraft and start a new generation of audio creation and editing today.
Hello? Do you know who this is? Two guys talking the Matrix? Yes. It was a movie that smashed records, imaginations, and limits for gunfire inside of feature films. The Matrix, 1999, directed by the Wachowski brothers, was recently put squarely inside the crosshairs of the perspective review from Two Guys Talking. We talk about the hype, the money, the good, the bad, provide a rating, and discuss the franchise. Also, learn about all the great weapons utilized inside The Matrix from SovereignArms.com's Matt Gummersell, senior firearms instructor specializing in dynamic weapons training. Don't miss yet another record-breaking perspective review from Two Guys Talking. All this and more is waiting for you, as well as the decision to take the blue or the red pill. Over at twoguystalking.com forward slash matrix. It's the perspective review of 1999's The Matrix, only from Two Guys Talking. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great, cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it all out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com. See what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box from The Voice Box. Voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can with perpetual advertising. Here's how it works. Unlike TV or radio ads where every instance the ads are broadcast, they're only played once and lost forever. Perpetual advertising can have repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, and even years after they're inserted in a podcast. So even if a podcast is a few years old, your ads will still be impactful to repeat listeners as well as new listeners. This gives your advertising dollar the most bang for the buck. Find out more about perpetual advertising at twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. Things in 1982 were a lot more simple. BMX bikes, the Versailles apartment complex in Schaumburg, Illinois, the sweet, innocent kiss of Andrea Schaefer, and of course, a little film from a man named Steven Spielberg called E.T. Science fiction, the detail of a broken but still together family, the relationships that were made when you were 12, ones that are never again truly realized. It seems a lot heavier than most remember, but all of these things and more await you in the Two Guys Talking Perspective Review of Steven Spielberg's E.T. 1982 on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Check it out now at twoguystalking.com. That's the number two, guystalking.com. Are you a blogger? Always wanted to be one? Are you a business that wants to add a blog to their website? Are you an existing blogger who's looking for more traffic? Then check out bloggersbug.com for the perfect solution to your blog creation needs. Access bloggersbug.com now and get bit by the blogger's bug. How? Check out bloggersbug.com for the perfect solution to your blog creation needs. Get bit by the blogger's bug. Bloggersbug.com. Get bit by the blogger's bug.
Everyone, welcome back to the Two Guys Talking Baseball Perspective Review of Field of Dreams, 1989, starring Kevin Costner. Before we went to break, we had a great trivia question. Vic, the trivia question was, in 1996, these two actors, who actually appeared uncredited inside of the Fenway Park scene, got the Oscar. Who are these two actors? No idea. No idea. Um... Two popular actors okay, so from... They, uh, how about this? How about this? Uh, they are both Bostonians. They are both still very huge popular actors, one more in particular than the other right now. Did you say they were awarded something? Were yes, they? the Oscar in 1996 so, uh, for a film be, about Boston. Will Hunting, maybe? That would be Good Will so Hunting, yes. Ben Affleck and Matt Damon? <laughs> it is Ben Affleck that? and Matt Damon. That's Uncredited, right. Uncredited, really? Uncredited inside of it. And it's because they appear as specs somewhere in the crowd. Oh, damn. <laughs> so you know, I have no idea where. I, never, but I didn't see them. They are inside of that, and apparently that was another one of those scenes where those of you that are appearing inside of the ballpark tonight are going to be inside of a wonderful film called Field the Dream, starring Kevin Costner. How about that? Yeah, so very special, and a great piece of trivia for a wonderful movie. Just as every film has goods, there's also the bad. You are out of here! Now, Vic, we've got yet another hour of bads inside of this film, so... Actually, we don't. <laughs> We've actually only got one. And I don't even know that had you not been here for this perspective review, there would have been this one. Wow. As as the as the wonderful bleacher awesomeness scene happens, but then trickles towards the edge of the, or towards the end of that scene, where you have the angry banker that comes in and knocks over the daughter who is now choking on a hot dog. That was something that you had to step out for. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know, Mike. I when it comes to things happening to kids. I have a hard time watching them. You know, I can't go back and watch Titanic again. Sure. You know, because those kids that they're put in bed. By the way, do you know who puts the kids in bed? No. That's Vasquez from Aliens. Oh, how about that? Yeah, how about that? <laughs> um, the girl in the red coat in Schindler's List. Dude, that was on recently, and that one is another. Uh, at the end of that one, I'm just a mess. Now, this is not just a kid, but when my kids were young, mm -hmm. My two greatest fears mm -hmm. were choking mm -hmm. and getting their fingers caught in the doors. Yeah. I don't know why. Two, just well, one irrational fear about the doors. But choking was a big thing that used to make me crazy. Yeah. And it's funny, you know, you worry about your kids choking and getting their fingers caught in the doors. And then they grow up. And now there's infinite things to worry about. <laughs> I would rather worry about the choking and the fingers in the doors. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, I yeah, I, I just, it's not my favorite. Uh, it's very interesting. I, I, too, have a fear of the whole choking thing, mostly because you and I can both remember vividly times in our lives, whether we were kids or not, where you are choking. And it is not fun. I've actually saved two lives with the Heimlich Look maneuver. at you, Vic. Awesome. One was my did wife. You, did you hit him strikingly on the back like no, the old doctor? No. Really? That's funny. Really? Because that is pre... No, I'm sorry. 1989 is not pre-Heimlich, but the doc himself in his age <laughs> yeah. was pre-Heimlich. Yeah. And my mother told me one time she was choking on a sour ball, and her father whacked her in the back, and the thing came flying out of her mouth. Yeah. But with the, with the advent of the Heimlich maneuver, my wife and my father, we were out to eat, and she starts choking on a, a crouton. Yeah. And I was like... Oh, my God. And I just ran behind her. I did the Heimlich. The thing came out, and she was fine. Then years later, a guy I worked with is eating those little grape tomatoes, you know, those little tiny grapes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden, he like, gets this look on his face. And I said, are you choking? And he couldn't say anything. He just shakes his head. Yeah, so I ran behind him, and I did it. 
and and the, the tomato can pop. So I've saved two lives with the Heimlich. Look at you, lifesaver man. Awesome. Choking makes me crazy. No, I oh, and I I can totally get that. Choking in particular for me, uh, inside of one of those championship years during the summer of 1977, actually, my best friend back then, Jeff Allen, saved my life. Heimlich. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Slap on the back. No. I don't know. It's something that he and I have never talked about again. Oh wow! Uh, but it is uh it is a singularly defining moment inside of friendships of friendships. Mm-hmm. By the way, Jeff Allen, should you ever listen to this, I still remember your phone number. How about that? Eight eight two eight one five eight. Wow. Eight eight two eight one five eight. Five 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 eight one two. Great friend, a kind of great memory because obviously I'm not dead. Right. But the only thing that we could find wrong with this film at all right. was the little waft of the unfortunate showcase of a choking child. So, okay. booyah for an awesome movie inside only of... Only one bad? That's, pretty, that's, that's it. Pretty Dude, that's it. That's actually where we ask you guys, if you give feedback, the podcasters will love it. What bads did we miss inside of this movie? Obviously, when you send them to me via the website over at twoguystalkingbaseball.com, I will delete them instantly because you're an idiot. Maybe maybe <laughs> a half bad. Okay. What else? What else? The loneliness of Terrence Mann when Kevin Costner comes knocking on the door. Oh, but we know so many people like him, Vic. Tell me right now you cannot think of one angry old man that has provided himself with instant hermitage right. because he's got to be alone and can't stand blah, blah. But he didn't eventually. You know what I'm saying? Right. Well, he had a chance because Ray helped him. Right. It's about decisions. Right. As far as we go inside of this movie, and again, we'll get to the, the synopsis of what you and I both think in the rating. This movie is about decisions for mm-hmm. me. There's no doubt about it. Ease is podcast. The franchise. Now, again, we said this is a corn combine of cash. Made a ton of money. But there's no sequel. And you know what? Doesn't need to be. Don't want one. I have no interest ever, in particular, if any of these people die, seeing anything in regard to a sequel. I don't want the grown-up daughter to have a softball-style inside of the field of dreams that's become a softball The League of Their Own Girls come out. <laughs> yeah. I, I, don't, I don't care for any of that. It, it's not needed. And that they chose to not do this, and uh, to do a sequel for this movie, is a great thing. Very much like what I uh, always say about E.T., we did not need a sequel to E.T. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And the uh, by the way, you can also listen to the perspective review of E.T., another one of my favorite films, over at twoguystalking.com forward slash E.T. You know, sequels are so tricky because you can't fall into the traps of the same parallels. Right. I know you have to have some of them, but gosh, some sequels just go so far. Yeah. In recreating something that happened yeah. in the first one that it gets like, really? Yeah. Well, yeah. you can paint a fence outside of a house as many times as you want. It's still a fence. Right, exactly. You can't do that with movies. It just doesn't work that way. In particular, for television-based movies, it always it always is a fail moment. And I would give you instantly the rest of the Home Alone series. Mm-hmm. A tiny little bit inside of two. I can stomach it, mostly because it's in the Big Apple. Right. But the rest of it, it's crap. But yet, the Back to the Future sequels were absolutely needed. Two and three. You and I will have to talk about those because I didn't plan on there being anything perspective review based about two and three, but now I will. How about that? Perfect. So we come to the part of the two guys talking baseball perspective review of Field of Dreams, where we rate this movie, Field of Dreams, 1989, starring Kevin Costner, directed by Phil Alden Robinson. So Vic, and for those of you wondering how the scale works inside of Two Guys Talking Everything, there is a scale from one for the worst, 10 for the best. Okay. No half points. 
and seven is an average. So if you were going to look at a movie and go, eh, average, it's going to start at seven. Okay. Then for the negatives and the positives, you go up or down. Okay. Vic, what do you got? All right, this movie is about baseball. Yes. Big points. Huge. Uh, this movie A has good movie about baseball. Great movie about baseball. Mm-hmm. This movie talks about baseball history, which I unfortunately am addicted to. <laughs> this movie stars James Earl Jones and Kevin Costner and Burt Lancaster. I love so many baseball movies, and I know it's hard sometimes to pick a favorite baseball movie, mm-hmm. but I do have favorite baseball oh, sure. movies. Yeah, I do too. And this is not on my top three list. I'm with you. So that's why I don't give it a 10. Sure. I'll give it an 8. That's very well said, Vic. I think 8 is a great number for this movie. I look at this movie and I find as I get older and more groomed and have more life experience that this movie continues to morph for me into something completely different. Had you asked me, was this movie about decisions before I started watching it this evening? I don't know that I would have agreed with myself. But after watching it again with the perspective that I have now as a 45-year-old man going through the turmoil that I am going through as a 45-year-old man, raising a 12-year-old daughter, raising my life as my life stands, I see this movie completely as a decision-making moment movie. And it's one of the ones I will showcase to anybody. You know, are you having problems making decisions in your life? Why don't you watch Field the Dreams? Because while it might not guide you to make a decision... It'll sure as hell encourage you to make one. And that's all testimony to go watch movies over again. Yeah. Because you, especially as you age, you get a completely different perspective. What I watch now when I watch Predator, for example, from 1986 with Arnold Schwarzenegger, is something completely different than when I watched it with my best buddy Carlo back in 1986. By the way, you can also listen to the perspective review of Predator over at twoguystalking.com forward slash Predator. I... I love that this movie allows me to think about the decisions I have made recently, about the ones that I made when I first saw this movie, but more importantly about decisions that I will make inside of my life. I give this movie also an eight. And that's where we ask you guys, what did you give this movie? If you give feedback, the podcasters will love it. 1989's Field of Dreams, starring Kevin Costner and a cavalcade of actors that is just... So spellbinding, Vic. Let us know what you think by going over to twoguystalkingbaseball.com forward slash field of dreams. Click on the contact area on the top right-hand side of the page. Fill out the quick web form and tell us what did you think of Field of Dreams. Until our next podcast, I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. I'm Vic Porcelli. I'm the other host. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Ah, another nine podcast innings complete. Another scorecard fleshed out. But we're wondering what you think. Podcast feedback. Be sure to visit us over at twoguystalkingbaseball.com to tell us which stories you liked, which stories you didn't, but more importantly, which ones you want to hear about. You can also visit and interact with us on iTunes and Facebook and send a fastball share over to your fellow baseball friends. Thanks for listening to this episode of Two Guys Talking Baseball. And until you come back to the virtual bleachers, hey, batter, 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 swing! Two Guys Talking Baseball. Always a strike when it comes to baseball storytelling and perspective. You are out of here!